Back at the ballpark, ladies and gentlemen, for the second game of the doubleheader between the White Sox and the Boston Red Sox. The entertainment between have been provided largely. <laughs> Al Shackley right now is doing a little shadowing of Umpire Hubbard. First, I was like, Cal walked up the <laughs> Cal would walk along behind him and make every gesture he did. Now, just now, Hubbard started to dust the plate. So, Al, as he dusts them off, why Al would kick some more dirt over it. Now, Al is getting down there and, and takes the wrist room and dusts it all up. And then, <laughs> he passes the thing to the umpire, the wrist room, and then he, the wrist room reached, or umpire reached for it, he dropped it. Then he dropped it. <laughs> he kicked it. <laughs> you know, got it before he could kick it, and now he's taking all of these <laughs> baseballs and dumps them out of the ball bag. He's laying there doing puzzles with them. Finally, he picks up a few handfuls and starts to help the announcer pick them up, and probably just to get them all picked up, he'll dump them out again, I imagine. Anyway, he has the right umpire down there, a good natured fella. That's just what he did. He picked them all up and sent them to the call out again. And umpire Hubbard getting more kick out of it than anyone else. <laughs> Jack walked up and tried to. Jack is always going to take a pass at the umpire. At the umpire, maybe he's going to hit him and help him. <laughs> now he ends in his lineup and drops that on the ground. And so. Uh, the umpire won't reach for it this time. He has to pick it up himself because that's getting into formal business. Now the announcers are getting to worry because Al's is coming over and starts to play marbles with the baseballs out there. Al's really had more fun today than anyone. Hubbard <laughs> held his the stock line up the coast to the visiting team off to Jack that time. And Jack walked up and grabbed it fast so that Hubbard couldn't drop it. And now the stock players run out on the field so Jack turns his all business again, takes off his hat and coat, wears a fatter top hat and a tail coat around when he does all this funny things. He takes him over to the bench, and we're just about ready to go in the center. We've got a Pennsylvania plane flowing for us. Okay. The lineup for the second game, the uh, Boston lineup is somewhat altered because of the bad day that Weber was suffering out there in the field. For the Red Sox, Marillo, second, Kramer, center, Menois, left, Fox, first, Boner, third, Conan, short, Cook, right, Berg, catching, and West Farrell, pitching. For the White Sox, Radcliffe, left, Kovic, center, Mott, right, Benura, first, Appling, short, Hayes, second, Dyke, third, Sue, catching, and Kennedy pitching. The umpires hovered at the plate, McGowan at first, and Ormsby at third. And now here we go to the second game of the doubleheader. Kennedy winds up, throws the first one, and Malone takes it wide for ball one. He reaches it for the next one. He hits the fly out to right center, but Haas is there and makes the catch easily, and it's one out of the first inning. One out of the first inning to the Red Sox. And Kramer, Roger Kramer, the Former athletic, now the Red Sox center fielder, is up there to play left-handed hitter. Lillo, a Chicago boy who has moved back to his old familiar second base post. Slide out to start the game. Kennedy throws the first one, Kramer hits the bounder, Dyke dashes fast over to his left, gets it, throws the first, and the runner is out for the second out. Dyke's four over in front of Appling to grab that slow hopper and made the throw to first base. 
scores two out in the first inning of the Red Sox. And Heineman is the Boston left fielder is up there at bat. And this up there at plate, I see left-handed hitter. And the first pitch to Heine is wide for ball one. One ball call. Kennedy winding up again, throws, and the hitter swings, hit a high fly, going foul down back at first base. Benoit is following over there towards the stand and makes the catch with <laughs> He reached out and made a catch with a gloved hand. Just reached out as though he thought he was going to just about at the bench, and Myers was going to have to do it to keep him colliding, and he looked very dainty as he grabbed that ball, and then as he turned around, he had the hurdle because Manish was mad and threw the bat towards the bench and almost hit Benoit in the feet. So it's three out, no runs, no hit in the first inning for the Red Sox. And the score is nothing to nothing as the White Sox come to bat in the last half of the first inning of the second game. The White Sox won the first game by a score of nine to one. Very happily surprised a little while ago between games and back to see two very good friends of ours walk in. One is Streeter's gift to the vendors at the ballpark. They haven't found him yet, but there'll be a constant parade of them up here to see Alex Robb pretty soon. And with him came in that grand old baseball player of many, many years, one of the greatest outfielders the game has ever known, the old Gray Eagle, Chris Speaker, who spent a year here as a co-broadcaster and gave us more competition than I want in any one year. The first pitch is a strike on Ratcliffe, the first White Sox hitter. Strike over the hard plate about waist high. One strike on the ripper. And the hitter started to swing at the next one stop. The ball came over the plate anyway. And it's two strikes on Ratcliffe. Two strikes to count. Goes once more. And the ripper swings at a high fly and short center field. Center fielder coming in. Short stop going out. And Melillo dashes over to make a fine running pass to that ball in short center field for the first out. But the red pitch there just can't do anything to get a base hit that Nuno ball. The Ripper hasn't been meeting the ball very well today. They've had him slowed up on his swing. Hasn't been hitting the ball very hard. Mm-hmm. I told you the vendors would spot our friend Alex pretty soon. Finally located him there. <laughs> he starts on red hot. I don't know what it'll be next. <laughs> It just goes now, and oh, Kramer took the line smash to center field, and Kramer comes in to make a great diving catch of the ball. Looked for a second, though he was going to stop it, and I think Jimmy Dyke thinks he did. Kramer took a dive for the ball, and Jimmy thinks that the ball hit the grass first. He goes out and questions first umpire arms, and now he goes out to ask Bill McGowan about it. Billy Webb, the coach, also running over. It was a great play whether he caught it or trapped it. But Kramer came tearing in fast and made a diving catch, getting along on his shoulder. Ball stuck in his glove. Now, whether he hit the glass first and then hopped into the glove or landed the glove direct, it's hard to tell from this distance. Jimmy Dykes thought he trapped it. But both umpires, McGowan and Armsby, thought that uh, he had made the catch and so ruled. Dykes is pretty sore as he walks off the field, kicks dirt a little bit, and makes another remark at Armsby as he starts back to the, the dugout. And Billy Webb comes back to the coaching line. 
especially on those plays. It's a hard decision to make always. The umpires can't get out there fast enough to be alongside of the outfielders, and they have to call it as they see it. But the fact that both umpires saw it is in the glove would indicate to me that it really uh, was decidedly in the glove. There's no question on their part. I was watching them, and both their hands went up at the same instant. Both hands went into the air without any hesitation. So it's two out in the first inning, and half of that calls the first pitch off into the stand to left the plate to strike one. And the hitter starts for the next one. Bass drives it out to the deep short corner, makes a great play to get the ball there, and Trey makes it a long try for first base. The throw was wide, and Haas was in there anyway. Cronin took the only chance he could to make any kind of a play there by making a long throw from deep short very hastily. And the throw was wide, but he wouldn't have gotten the runner anyway. The base hit for Haas. And it puts him on first base. The two out in the first inning for the White Sox. And Tikkunura, the White Sox first baseman, is at best. Take this one into right field for a base hit. Haas makes the turn at second. The ball goes to Cook, who throws in very fast and gets the ball across the infield in a hurry. So Mule turns and goes back to second base. Single to right field by Benura. He's really hitting that ball, my friends, and how he's hitting it. And it puts White Sox runners on first and second with two out of the first inning. And Luke Appling is at best. Appling up there at the plate. Luke takes the first one for a strike over the inside corner. He turns around more or less in surprise when he hears the call to strike. It looks pretty good. Over the inside corner, a little above the knees. And it's one strike. And he hits the next, a high fly down the right field line, but Cook is across the foul line waiting for it. Has it. And it's three out. Long for the fly. It was just in fair territory, just inside the foul line, but Cook got it easily for the third out. So it's no run, two hits. Two men left on base in the last half of the first inning. And the score is still nothing to nothing between the Red Sox and the White Sox at the end of the first inning of the second game. The White Sox won the first game 9-1. to one. Make sure the oil in the tank case of your car is right. Use only new Texaco motor oil of the correct SAE grade for your make and model car. Texaco is not only correct in viscosity, but you can be sure of a sweeter running, trouble-free engine that will save you money because the new Texaco motor oil stands up under all driving conditions. Jimmy Fox is up there to play to start the second inning now for the Red Sox. Husky, dangerous right-handed hitter. Kennedy turns around. The outfielders all move way around to the left. Left side of the infield playing back pretty far. And he pitches and Jim swings with a ball. Oh, it takes a very high hop and bounds over Appling's head into left field. Patrick juggles the ball momentarily, but gets a hold of it and throws it into second base, chasing Jimmy back to first. That ball took a funny, very high hop. Was hit right straight at Appling, and it looked for an instance as though Luke was going to be able to get it. But when it landed, it bounced probably 10 or 12 feet in the air, way up over Luke's head, and he couldn't get up fast enough to get it. He wasn't set for a hop like that. Now Conrad's bat follows the first pitch into the second deck above first base, and it's strike one.
There's a ball wide and low, and Kennedy threw that so hard that he fell on all fours after letting go of the ball, letting go of the ball, and Sewell and Sykes walk in to talk to him, see if he's all right or hurt himself, give him a chance to pull himself together and get settled down. It's one and one, one ball and one strike on corner. Boy, they haven't got names that sort of hook up in this club. Kramer, Croner, and Cronin. It's sort of a cycle around there. Finally steps on the slab again. And pitches the runners on the go, and the hitter hits one down the right field line. Hoss is racing over fast, but it lands out of his reach. Bounce through down to the right field corner. He gets it, and it bounds into the grandstand down there. And by ground rules, is a two-base hit, which puts the batter back on second base, and Fox back on third. Now, Joe Corman, the manager, is going up to carry the umpires on that. I don't see where there's any argument. The ground rule says that a fair hit ball is bounds foul or bounds into the grandstand is by ground rule a two-base hit, and it bounds in the grandstand. That's all there is to it. There's no room for argument on any side. Two-base hits out the right field corner, bounds into the stand. Puts corner on second base, moves Fox to third. And the Red Sox now have runners on second and third. Nobody out of the second inning. And Joe Cronin is at bat. Joe hits a bounder down to Appling, who grabs it, throws the first base, getting the man there, and a runner from third scores. The infield was playing back. Rather than gamble on two runs scoring on a one hit, a hit that might otherwise be fielded, the infield was playing back in normal position. And so when Appling got that ball, Cronin was out at first all right. But Fox was able to slip home with the first run of the game. With the Red Sox a one to nothing lead. And Cook, the right fielder is at that. With Croner on second base, one out, one run home, and he falls the first one in the ground of the left to plate for strike one. One strike on Dusty Cook. Kennedy throws again, and Dusty hits a high bounder out back to second base. Hayes gets it out there, throws fast to first. And a very fine throw gets cooked on a close play for the second out. Dusty was going down there very, very fast. And Hayes out back to second base really bore down on that throw to first and got it over there in great style. On the play, Croner went to third base. So it's two out in the second inning for the Red Sox. One run home, Croner on third base. And Moberg, he got to it back, takes the first one for a strike over the heart of the plate about waist high. One strike on Berg. Goes again and more fouls this one into the stand, the right of the plate, and it's strike two. So it's two strikes on Bird. Two strikes to count. All right, hander hitter steps right back up the plate again. Kennedy winds up, throws, and more swings and misses on the third ball, striking out for the third out in the second inning. But in that inning, the Red Sox scored one run to go into the lead, one to nothing. One run, two hits, one man left on base. In the first half of the second inning of the Red Sox, are leading the second game off by a score of one to nothing. As the White Sox come to bat in the last half of the second, with Jackie Hayes, the first man up there. Oh, here's the gang, says, uh, we took your advice and came to see a game. Good luck to you in the Sox. The James the Wisconsin Post Office game. How you like that? That's what I like. I have to show that boss downstairs so we know that some people are taking our advice and coming out here. Uh-huh. 
YouTube. Fine. Here's a bat to start the last half of the second inning with the Red Sox leading one to nothing. In the second game, White Sox won the first game nine to one. And West starts that loose jointed windup of his. And a hitter hits a long wallop way out to deep left center. The left fielder is racing back and makes a nice running catch. And so Hayes is out on a long fly to Manesh in deep left center. And it's one out of the second inning for the White Sox. With Jimmy Dyke, the White Sox, third baseman and manager, not bat. Well, rocks back and forth there. Finally starts to wind up. Pitches, and Dyke takes a ball. It's a little bit wide and a little bit low. One ball call. Got your sports about that, and Jimmy turns down, thinking a little bit about it. Farrell winds up again, pitches, and Dyke gets ball too. It missed the inside corner across the knees, this trip, and it's 2 nothing on Dyke. Two balls and no strike. Winds up again, throws, and Dyke takes a strike, pass ball over the heart of the plate above the knees, and it's 2 and one Two balls and one strike on Jimmy Dyke. Jim swings the next hit along, fall away down the left field line, far back under the second deck, and it's two balls and one strike on Jim. Two and two. Thank you, George. The wig rag is terrific, George. All I can see is two fingers sticking out, indicating two strikes instead of one. There, that's that ball three. Wide one for ball three. Old official counter, George, up here. Three and two to count. Ready once more, starts to wind up. Pitches and Dyke gets ball four wide and low, gets the base on ball. Puts him on first base with one out of the second inning. And Luke Sewell is up there at the plate. Sewell at that. Luke right there as the pitcher gets his time. So with the runner first pitches. And Luke swings in a high fly into right center. Right field is over there calling for the ball. Center fielder there too, but Cook makes the catch. And it's two out in the second inning. Long high fly to right center, which Cook gets easily. And it's two out in the second inning for the White Sox. But Vern Kennedy, White Sox pitcher, now coming up to the plate. Vern gets a nice hand. He walks out of the dugout and walks up there. And finally arrives at the plate. He swings and hits the first pitch for a high fly into left field. The left field is over there calling for it and makes the catch for the third out. So it's no runs, no hits. One man left on base in the second inning for the shot. Don't forget, we remind you again. You people who like to keep score and have a story to tell, be able to replay a game from your own scorecard at the end of the game or tonight or next week or next year or years from now. When you stop in your Texas station and would like to get a book, just ask for a request card. It's already addressed to me. You put a one-cent stamp on it. Be sure on the other side to fill in your name and address and mail it, and you'll get your score. Where's Farrell is not to start the third inning, and he takes the first one wide for ball one. West is a pitcher. But one of the very good hitters in the league. That's right-handed as he pitches. 
He swings again to hit a high bounder. Appling goes way back over second base. It can't reach the ball. And it peeks through in the center field for a base hit. Right out over second base. It bounded over the pitcher's head. And it's a single to center field by Farrell. We're over in the third inning. It's West on first base with nobody out. And Melillo is a bad Farrell calls for time. And cannot turns goes over to the bench and gets West's black rubber coat that he wears out there, sort of a windbreaker, lightweight, but breaks the wind. While the wind isn't cold today, there's plenty of it, and it might tighten him up a little bit, and he's had enough trouble with stiff arms. And now, on the next pitch, Lolo hits the first ball pitch toward right field. Hayes goes way back into his left to get the ball. Pivots and throws to second base, where Atlee takes his throw and forces Farrell for the first out in the first inning. Leaving Melillo on first base with one out of the third inning, and Kramer is at bat. Roger Kramer, the center fielder up there. Rod takes the first one for a strike over the heart of the plate just above the knee. One strike on Kramer. The throws in the hitter, it's a line drive out the left center for a base hit. Bradford's over there fast, steals the ball in a hurry, goes to second base, and Melillo on the goal from the start, races around the third base on the hit. He was left center by Kramer, moving Melillo to third base. Radcliffe got the ball and threw to second, threw behind the runner. However, I doubt very much whether he could have caught him at third, so he was making sure that the other runner didn't try to go to second. The Red Sox have runners on first and third with one out of me in the third inning. And Manusha uh, Pat takes the first pitch inside and blow a ball one. The third goes past the first, the runner leaps back to safety. The ball goes back out to the pitcher. Now Kennedy pitches that line. He swings in a high fly. Right out over Appling's head. Luke is calling for the ball. Makes the catch. And it's two out in the third inning. There's another dangerous hitter, Jimmy Fox, at that. Whenever he walks up there, particularly with men on bases or the score close, there's a positive second goes through the stand. But Jimmy can really pull that apple, and he saves us all the time. Throws and the hitter takes the wide one across the way for ball one. One ball called on Fox. He's ready again, turns and throws the first. Kramer off the bag at leaps in the air as though he might start the second, merely wagging his arms around to attract attention. Burns pitches on the third ball very wide and low. Two <laughs> leaps way off the right and knocks it down and then. And Troy's on one foot with the other foot in the air and his back to the infield. He peered around under his arm to see whether anybody was going to try to run, but they didn't. So he picked up the ball, which was right at his feet, threw it back to the pitcher. It's two and nothing, two balls and no strike. Fox hits the next, a line smash, a beauty out the left center for a long base hit. Felix grabs the ball fast, throws it into Appling, and he lets the throw go through, but the runner gets the third base in time. And another run, of course, scores. A ringing single out the left center by Fox. Scoring Melillo with the Red Sox second run of the game. And moving Kramer to third base. Oh, when that fellow hits the ball, he really hits the ball.
man up there, corner, follows the first one back to the, the screen back of the plate for strike one. One strike on corner. The hitter hits the next one, a beauty out to right center. Another long base hit is going clear through the stand. One run in, second one coming in, corners around, second base on his way to third. Hayes gets the ball and fires it over there, and it bounds right into the runner as he slides in safely, and it's a triple to right center by Croner. Already has a double in this game. Scores both Kramer and Fox. And it gives the Red Sox a four to nothing lead over the White Sox in the third inning. And White Sox are beginning to show some activity in the bullpen. Joe Cronin is there at the plate now. Cronin at bat. Kennedy throws the first one. Joe hits another terrific smash out to right center, but it's pretty high. And Kravitz runs way, way back and makes the catch for the third out. That ball was also well hit, although pretty well in the air to give Mike a chance to get over under. The one that was just hit out there by Cronin was low enough so that it got through between the fielders. So in the third inning, there's three runs, four hits, one man left on base. And the score is four to nothing in favor of the Red Sox. White Sox coming to bat in the last half of the third inning of the second game at the head of the batting order, Rip Radcliffe at bat. The White Sox won the first game by a score of nine to one. Radcliffe got a hand as he walked out there. Ball is thrown out to second base. Where Cronin takes the throw this time, rubs it up, toss it to Melillo. He rubs it, uh, throws it back to Pitcher, who rubs it up some more. Farrell turns around, step on the rubber to get ready to pitch the first one to Radcliffe. West starts to wind up, throws, and rips swings in a long drive away up deep right field. Right field is racing over the ball and makes the catch just in foul territory, way down to the end of the right field line. So it's one out in the third inning for the White Sox. It's still had men on base every inning, but so far it's not been hit enough to worry about. Let's take a look around at the boys and get ready. Start to wind up the pitch of Peter. So Mike bunts the ball down toward third base. Farrell goes over, grabs the ball, juggles it a moment, and Peter got the first base on it, and I believe it was always a base hit. Carroll got over and fielded that ball while way out of position and then juggled it momentarily. And when he finally did get a hold of it, he made a good throw to first, but not in the field it was there. Of course, the child likes the kid. I didn't get it close. Whether it's the next one, a hard bounder down the corner or makes a good play way out to his left. He got the ball and throw it to second and field it's rolled in the second base. Keep the runners from going to first, but uh, Hart was there anyway. So Hart forces Peter to second base. The play going from corner to Melillo for the second out of the inning. Leaving Hart on first base with two outs in the third inning, and Zeke Demura is at bat. Draws and Zeke swings to hit a foul down the right field line back into the seat, well down beyond first base, and it's one strike from Demura. One strike to count. One strike is a count. 
And the pitcher throws the next one, three takes the high one inside for a ball, and the count is one ball and one strike on Vanilla. One and one. One and one to count, and it's wide for ball two now. The count is two and one. Two balls and one strike. It throws one score and it's lined inside for ball three. And it's three balls and one strike on Big Pete. Pass on first base, two out of the third inning. Throws a gun and it's ball four high and inside. Farrell comes in yelling at the umpire about that one, but that pitch was way up inside. First West is rather a temperamental person by reputation, and some people have known him say he really is. But I think that West carries some of that temperament on just long enough to keep the story alive because, well, he likes to go along that way and do a lot of ribbing and sitting. And naturally, because of it, the fans like to put the rib on him pretty much. And now the crosshead runner is on first and second with two out of the third inning, and Luke Appling at that. He throws, and Luke takes it inside across the race for ball one. One ball called. Means well as he gets his sign again. As it was back at second base once more. Pitches, and it's a third ball wide for ball two. Making it two and nothing, and Farrell argues about that now. He yells at the umpire. Joe Cronin comes starting in from the shortstop position, walks past the mound, walks into the front of the mound, picks up some dirt, a handful of it, makes one more remark, tosses a handful of dirt on the ground, turns, walks back to his position, and it's two and nothing, two balls and no strikes. He'll get the next one to drive in the center field for a base hit, run it to second base, is scoring easily, and now. Stops his second to throw in across the catcher, and so the runners move to second and third. The third baseman, Croner, starts to think about that, and he pushed the runner off third base, and so Hoss Benora turned right around and pushed him off away from the bag. The throw in to the plate, running all together too late, not grappling single. Hoss scored, and it bounded high in the air over the Catch his shoulder. By the time Farrell grabbed it and juggled it a moment, Bonilla tried to go to third. And he got in there safely to throw into over to third base. Got there too late. The runner came running in and came in standing up. The corner uh, made a lunge at him, yelling about the decision and pushed Bonilla off the back of his shoulder. So Bonilla just reached over and gave him a shove, knocking clear into the infield. Sort of playful business, but at the same time, he's not entitled to block him off that way. And after a squawk to the umpires, why everybody's back. And Jackie Hayes up there. Then Jackie swings the golf one down toward third baseman. Throwing gets it and throws the first, and it's three out. Ending that inning with one run home for the White Sox. One run. Two hits and two men left on base for the up to the minute scores and complete batteries from other cities will return to the studio. In the National League in Boston, the first game of the doubleheader between the Cubs and the Bees was lost to the Bees. The Bees, or rather the Cubs lost, the Bees won four to three.
In the second game at the end of the eighth inning, the Bees are leading the Cubs by a score of three to two. Warnicky and O'Day, the Cub battery in the second game, Cantwell and Lopez working for the Bees. The first game of the doubleheader in Philadelphia was taken by the St. Louis Cardinals from the Phillies, 13 to two. In the second game, the Cards are leading the Phillies at the end of the third inning by a score of 8-2. to two. Earnshaw and Davis working for the Cards in the second game. The Phillies using Bowman and Atwood to start with Benz pitching in the third. In Brooklyn, the first game of the doubleheader between the Cincinnati Reds and the Dodgers was taken by the Reds 4-3. to three. In the second game at the end of the third inning, the Dodgers lead the Reds 1 to nothing. Hallahan and Campbell, the Red Battery, the Dodgers using Frank House and Phelps. In the single game in New York between the Giants and the Pittsburgh Pirates was taken by the Giants 3-2. to two. Swift and Patton, the Pirate Battery, the Giants using Hubble and Mancuso all the way. In the American League, the first game of the doubleheader in St. Louis between the Browns and the Philadelphia Athletics was taken by the Browns 6-1. to one. In the second game, Kelly is the warm-up pitcher for the Athletics, the Browns warming up Caldwell. In Cleveland, the Indians are leading the New York Yankees at the end of the sixth inning, 2 to nothing. Pearson and Dickey working for the Yanks. The Indians starting Hildebrand and Pitlack, and Sullivan taking over the catching duties when Pitlack was hit in the head by a pitched ball from Pearson. That was in the fifth inning. In Detroit, the Tigers and the Washington Senators are tied at the end of the first half of the seventh inning, 2 to 2. Appleton and Millie's the Senator battery, the Tigers using Wade and Hayward. And now back to Comiskey Park and Hal Thompson. Take it, Hal. Back at the ballpark for the fourth inning, ladies and gentlemen. Dusty Cook, the first man to start for the Red Sox, has a count of two and two. Dusty turned around and said something to the umpire there. I don't know just what, but the umpire seemed to get a little bit uh, impatient because he said something again and made a gesture with his shoulders, though, to say, now you've talked enough, let's turn around and get down business. I don't know what Dusty was talking about because he just fouled one. The next pitch is high and wide for ball three. And he swings again to miss a fastball inside and strike out for the first out of the fourth inning. Finally got the definite ruling on that play in the last half of the third. And Kramer is charged with an error on that throw to the plate, which was very wide and finally bounced past Berg to cast. One out of the fourth inning. Berg not bat, and he takes the first pitch inside for ball one. One ball called. Red Sox leading the White Sox four to one. First half of the fourth inning, the second game. Kennedy throws again, the hitter hits the bounder. Dykes goes over, tries to get the ball. All he does is deflect it out past Appling into left field. And uh, Radcliffe comes in to get it. I imagine the door is a scratch hit. Incidentally, Haas' leg was bothering so much after that circuit of the bases that he was taken out of there. Kravitz has been moved to right field, and Rosenthal is playing center field for the White Sox. Now West Farrell is a bat. And the first pitch is a strike over the inside corner just about knee high. One strike on Farrell. And he swings there the next one and bounded down to Appling who gets it, throws the second, Hayes throws the first, and Farrell is out there on a very fast double play. West was trying hard. He was trying to make it, running it out very hard, but that fast double play completed things for the second and third out. So it's no runs, one hit in the first half of the fourth inning, and the score is still 4-1 to one in favor of the Red Sox if the White Sox come to bat in the last half of the fourth inning. Jimmy Dykes, the first hitter. The broadcast of the White Sox-Boston doubleheader comes to you direct from Comiskey Park, home of the White Sox in Chicago, as a presentation of your neighborhood Texaco dealer, distributor of Texaco Fire Chief Gasoline. And it comes with the permission of the White Sox and Red Sox.
stimulating this in our national game and in your own local baseball team. This is WCFL at Chicago. I'm talking to Dixie Walker down the field before the game today. Dixie is pretty sure now that he's not going to be able to play at all this year. He's able to warm up a little with the arm, but doctors are afraid to have him do much along that line. Because they're afraid that he'll start throwing and tear those muscles apart there in the shoulder they've worked on so long. And it means that the White Sox are really in a bad way and practically must add an outfielder to the roster, even at the expense of putting Walker again on the voluntary retired list, because they have only four outfielders, and both Rosenthal and Haas are ailing. Haas was only in there because Rosenthal twisted his back the other day, and Haas had to go in with his legs still in bad shape. Now, Jimmy Dykes is back to start the last half of the fourth inning, and he takes the first pitch wide for ball one. It is swings to the next hit, a high fly down the right field line, but Cook races over to the far line and still on the dead run, makes the catch for the first out in the fourth inning. One out of the fourth inning for the White Sox, and Luke Steele is at that. Steele up there at the plate. But she winds up. Open Luke swings to follow the ball into the stand to the right of the plate. And it's strike one. One strike on Steele. Earl again winding up pitches. And Luke gets strike two, a fastball over the outside corner about knee high. So the count is two strikes on Stewart. Two strikes to the count. Throws again and Luke swings in. Another high fly down the right field line. Cook ranging way over to the line and down near the corner makes it for the second out. Just he's having himself an afternoon out there in this game. His knees got one, two, three, four. But out four men so far. Now Vern Kennedy, who bats left-handed, although a right-handed pitcher, walks around behind the umpire and catcher, takes his face to face. He winds up, throws, and Kennedy takes a high one wide for ball one. One ball called. And he swings it, and next one for a high fly coming down, fall back of the plate. Berg is under it, he has it. And it's three out in the fourth inning. No runs, no hits for the White Sox. And the score is still four to one in favor of the Red Sox. Gonna run away, folks. What's the matter? Can't that fellow get enough vendors up here to keep him eating this afternoon? But oh, I see. <laughs> Good on, kid. Good to see you. Oh, this picture. He looks younger every time you look at him. He'll grieve, but he's got that great patch pretty well built up now, but he was pretty gray when he was playing. Here's Oscar Melillo, little Oscar down key, little Kong Melillo up there. And if he gets start to wind up, throws him the hitter, hits the line, driving to left field, active, coming in fast. The ball lands in front of him, and then bounces back. Way back to the wall out there, the runners around second base and tearing for third and gets in there standing up. Long drive. I don't know, I imagine they'll call that a three-base hit, although there's a chance they might call it a hit and an error. 
Radcliffe came charging in to try to make a shoestring catch of it, realized the last instant that he couldn't, and so tried to block it with his knees, but the ball landed and bounded fast. He went through to the wall, and Melillo is on third base. Now the infield draws in close as Colmer steps up to that. Rock falls the first one into the second deck over the left of us and down the last little. And it's one strike on Melilla. And the next one is a ball, so the count is one and one. They charge that as a single by Melillo and a tear up by Rat. The official ruling on that one. They're letting the ball go through the wall. Now the hitter hits the next one, a clean hard drive off the right field for a base hit. Single to the right by Kramer, scoring Melillo easily. And it gives the Red Sox a 5 to 1 lead in this ball game. They still have Kramer on first base. With nobody out, one run home in the fifth inning, and Manush is at bat. Manush up there, and it's a ball over the plate with Kilo. One ball called. But the turns and throws past the first, the runner gets back ahead of the throw. Now the hitter hits another boundary off three in the right field for another base hit. Runner from first round, second hits for third. David throws the ball over, but Appling cuts it off. There's no chance to get the runner at third. And it looks as though it just isn't Kennedy's day. And he was going to stay in there to pitch to one more man. And then if Fox hits one, why, they would be out of there. He just isn't fooling them today at all. Hopefully he's got that either control or lack of it. And when they hit him, they hit him hard. When he's got the control, why, nobody hits him much at all. Fox takes the first pitch high and inside for ball one. Sue walks out, hands the ball to Kennedy, talks to him for a moment, Vernon takes it, walks back out onto the mound, then onto the slab. Fox steps back up to the plate again. And he's ready, pitches, and Fox starts to swing, stops three quarters away through and flips the bat back over his shoulder. But it's a strike anyway down over the heart of the plate, a little above the knees, thinking it's one and one. Fire. Hubbard suddenly calls time. Nobody seemed to know why. Fox steps out and asked him, and he didn't seem to know either, so guess what he did. He thought because Fox was standing there with only one hand on the bat swinging around, he wasn't ready for the pitch. And naturally, when the hitter isn't ready, the umpire calls time. Now the next one is ball two over the plate, too low, and it's two and one. Two balls and one strike. It throws again, and the hitter starts to swing, stops, the ball gets out of Sue's glove, and the runner from first easily reaches second base. And I believe that would be a pass ball. Ball was a little bit wide, but it was seen to be in Sue's glove, and then he didn't get a good grip on it, rolled out to the right, let the runner from first get to second. Now they decide to finish it up by walking him on purpose, 
And so they're throwing ball four. Give him an intentional pass after he'd already had a three and one count. But the pass ball would let another man get the second. Now the Red Sox have the base full in the fifth inning with nobody out. One run already home. They're leading the White Sox by a score of five to one. And Kroner, who already has a double and a triple in his credit today, hits the first ball right back through the pitcher's box in the center field for a base hit. One run is in. Second one coming in. Fox reaches third base. And so the Red Sox are now well out in front. And Jimmy Dyke waves Kennedy out of the game. He's getting a nice hand as he walks off the field. And Clint Brown starts to fall in from the left field both in. Three runs home this inning for the Red Sox. Nobody out and runners still on first and third. As Clint Brown relieves Kennedy. Brown is the pitcher. He comes into the game, finds Fox on third base, Tony on first base, Tony at bat, and the score seven to one in favor of the Red Sox in the first half of the fifth inning of the second game. And Conan steps up to the bat, Conan at bat for the Red Sox in the fifth inning with nobody out yet, three runs already home, runners on first and third, and the Red Sox now leading the White Sox by a score of seven to one. Goes and hit a swing, hit a high fly, going foul down the right field line, and back into the seats, well down beyond first base. With one strike on Cronin, one strike to count. Keeps on the runners, finally pitches again, and Cronin hits the beauty out the right center for another long base hit. It's got through between the outfielders, bounced through the scoreboard. One run is in, the second run in. Cronin turns to third base. Hayes gets the ball, throws it over there, and the ball bounds away from Dykes. The runner sliding in safely, and Dykes starts over to grab it to keep the runner from trying to score. And it's a triple to right center by Conan, scoring two more runs for the Red Sox in fifth inning. And they now lead the White Sox 9 to 1, same score by which the White Sox won the first game, and the Red Sox hadn't let a man. Out yet. And the White Sox haven't put a, one of the numbers the Boston Club out yet. Look at that. Brown throws the first one and Dusty swings with a bounder just past the pitcher. Appling comes in fast, gets the ball and throws the first. The runner is safe there. The ball came over and Appling had to make a very fast play on it. And I think that will wait probably as an infield hit. Although Thurman held third base on it. Appling had to come in for that very, very slow twisting boundary and cook a fast man in the fast pass. And while Appling threw hastily, throw hit the dirt in front of first base. Another grab for it, or hit his glove and bounded away because he's reaching so far he couldn't get his fingers on it. And cook was safe at first. The runners are still on first and third. And Mo Berg is at that. And the little swings to the first one to miss it for a strike. One strike on Berg. Starting again, pitches, most swings a pop fly in the right field, not a pop fly, great guns, that's a way out there. Where it started up, I thought it was going to be sort of short, and 
Naturally, Curtis throws to second base after making the catch. To hold the other runner at first as Curtis scores. The very first out in the fifth inning. Six runs are already home. Now the Red Sox are leading 10 to 1, and Westfall, the pitcher, is at bat. First pitch to West is a strike over the outside corner, just about knee high. One strike on Bell. Throws again, and West waits for a slow ball and lines it out to Appling and gets it fast, and then throws the ball clear back to the stand in an effort to double the runner, but he gets back to first base safely and can't go farther because the ball bounced clear out to the north. Brooks had raced out the bag, but as Appling caught that line drive, as he turned and dashed back to the face, Appling made a very hasty throw, and throw uh, went clear past the Miller, but hit the front of the stand and Brown back to him so the Cook couldn't advance, and therefore there'll be no error called on the play. That brings Melillo to bat again. And he swings the first one to fall on the ground back to the screen, and it's strike one. He opened their inning with that single to left, getting the third one right to try for a two-screen catch, and stop, and then let the ball go through the wall. Then it's the next one to drive out to right field, see which is over fast, but it drops out there in front of him, that technical leaguer, and another base hit. His second one of the inning took easily reaching third base on it. So the Red Sox have runners on first and third. With two out, six runs already home in the fifth inning, and the man of that is Roger Kramer, the center field. And with that, ready looks to run in first and third, then pitches, and Ross takes a strike over the outside corner about knee high. One strike on Kramer. Watching the runners and pitches again. And it's a high one wide for ball one. So it's one ball and one strike on Kramer. One and one. Turns the close to first base. He only gets back in plenty of time. Put the throws and rod swing to the high fly and the short left field. Raptors coming in very, very fast and makes the catch on the run nicely for the third out. And the side is retired. Some of these fans break out in a rather peculiar brand of noise, which isn't exactly complimentary applause. But it's three out, six runs, seven hits, one error, and two men left on base. In the first half of the fifth inning, and at the end of the first half of the fifth inning of the second game, the Red Sox are leading the White Sox by a score of 10 to 1. The White Sox won the first game 9 to 1. Broadcast, the White Sox Boston doubleheader, comes to you directly from Mr. Pot, home of the White Sox of Chicago, as a presentation of your neighborhood Texaco dealer, distributor of Texaco, fire chief, gasoline. Broadcast comes with the permission 
the White Sox and the Red Sox, simulating this in our national game and in your own local baseball team. This is WCFL at Chicago. Bradford is already up there to take. Start the last half of the fifth inning. Paul has finished his warm-up. Pitches and there's a strike that manages to catch the outside corner. That's the first out of, 11, out of nine pitches that has come over the plate. Two consecutive walks on four pitches each. This one caught the corner outside for a strike. Earl throws again for strike two at about the same place, and so it's two strikes. Two strikes on Vanilla.
We get the next one, a hard bounder, Cronin and Jack Park. Cronin will get the manager to, to grab it again. We're going to throw the second, but too late. And all the runners are safe. Ball was hard hit, Cronin fumbled it, and we came limping in after grabbing it again. That's the way he should have had a man there. The ball was pretty well hit, but right straight at him. And then I would say... And anyway, the runners were all safe. We'll try to check up and make sure in a minute, but it looked pretty much as though that one was probably called in there. It was very hard hit. The right straight through Conan. Looks like he's going to get a man a second, but he fumbled it, although it was a hard hit ball. He might give a base hit on. Base is full, and Epley and Pat takes it inside across the way for ball one. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt, and we'll call it a hit ourselves. He winds up again now, throws and loose swing, gets a slow bounder back past the pitcher. Conan comes in fast, got the throws to first, and that runner is out. One run scores. Conan seems to be favoring, favoring his right leg a little as though he hurt it on that play on the ball that the Miller hit. And when he came over, he didn't attempt to pivot and throw the second at all. He got the one run score and threw the first to make sure of that man. And he makes the score now 10 to 2. Of course, about like that, they can afford to fool around and gamble on one run scoring. And even on two or three if necessary. Play it safe all the way around. Make it two out in the fifth. Jackie Hayes at that, takes the pitch wide and blows the ball one. One ball call. And there's a strike over the outside corner across the knees for the count is one and one. One ball and one strike on him. White Sox runners on second and third with two out of the fifth. Jackie gets the next one and gets past him and goes straight back to Sam. One runs home. Canola makes the turn. Then goes back to third when the ball is recovered quickly by Bird. And he passed out and hands it to Pell. It's a wild pitch by Pell. It's like Rosenthal's star. And moves Vanilla to third base. Making the star turn to three in favor of the Red Sox. Second game with a double header. Now throws and Jackie brings in a high fly to right center. Center fielder came and dashing back very fast and makes the catch way, way out there for the third out. They're building a two run, one hit, one man left on base. Right top. And the score at the end of the fifth inning of the second game. Red Sox are leading the White Sox by a score of 10 to 3. White Sox won the first game by a score of 9 to 1. And now again, for just a moment, we return to the studio. It's lots of fun to be able to have written records of these games, play by play, inning by inning. And it's lots of fun, too, to be able to compare one game with another. And the best part of it is that now you can make your own play-by-play records the same way that Hal Totten does, by using his own system, which Texaco gives you in the 1936 Texaco Baseball Scorebook. In it are complete instructions for keeping play-by-play records and plenty of blank score sheets. Other pages are devoted to photographs of the players, their nicknames, ages, averages, scheduled to follow major league games, interesting highlights of both teams. All are there for you. As you listen to these baseball broadcasts, Hal Totten will explain how to score unusual plays as they develop. 
Here's how you can get your copy of the 1936 Texaco baseball scorebook. Just stop at any Texaco service station and ask for a request card. Write your name and address on the card, stamp it and drop it in the mail. Children should be accompanied by an adult when requesting a card. Remember, the 1936 Texaco baseball scorebook is free. Send in your request card today. And now back to Comiskey Park for the continuation of the baseball game brought to you by permission of the Chicago White Sox and the Boston Red Sox to stimulate interest in our national game and in your local team. Take it, Hal. Back at the ballpark of the sixth inning, first man set for the Red Sox, Heine Manus. And the first two pitches by Brown are wide for ball. Three lines up again. Throws. And he swings with the ball right back through the box. Almost took an arm off clean on the way by. And goes through in the center field for a base hit. A single center field by Manus. Putting him on first base with nobody out in the sixth inning for the Red Sox. And bringing Jimmy Fox to bat. He's having himself quite a time in this game. Has two singles in the walk so far in this ball game. The throws and it's a high one inside for ball one. One ball called on Fox. Ready again. Rolls and Jim takes a wide one across the knees for ball two. So it's two and nothing. Two balls and no strikes on Jimmy Fox. Rolls again and Fox brings it up on the right side of the A's. He gets it, fumbles it, manages to pick it up and trying to flip it backhanded to Ampling to force the nurse at second base for the first out of the sixth inning. Leaves Fox on first base with one out of the sixth inning. And he already has a single, a double, and a triple. If he gets the home run, he'll have that very elusive cycle. Only if that takes the first pitch inside, ball one. Brown ready again, pitches to the runner on the goal. Hit it to make one right back through the box. Hayes grabs it, sees that he can't get the runner at second. So throws the first, getting corner, and that's the first time they've got him out in this game. This is two out. In the sixth inning for the Red Sox. And Fox is now on second base. The Joe Cronin, the manager and shortstop at that. Low the first one and Cronin takes it for a ball. It's over the plate, but too low. One ball called. Ready again. Pitches. And hit a swing, get a foul ball down the third baseline. Al Sachs, <laughs> coaching over there, throws it hard back to pitcher and then turns around and drops his cap and bows deeply to the crowd. One and one to count, one ball and one strike. He swings up the next one, a bounder out to the left of Appling and on into left center for a base hit. The runner is falling easily from second base. And it leaves Conan on. First base, two out and one run home in the sixth inning. Score now 11 to 3 in favor of the Red Sox in the second game of the doubleheader. And Cook, the right fielder at that, takes the first pitch for a strike over the outside corner knee half. Back to take the next one inside for ball one of the counties. One ball and one strike. 
Unquote. One and one is the count. And the hitter swings the next hit a pop fly right out into the infield. Stewart is following it out towards third base and makes the catch. Couldn't tell for sure whether it was just fair or just foul, but it doesn't matter very much. And it's three out, one run, two hits, one man left on base. The first half of the sixth inning. And the score is 11 to 3 in favor of the Red Sox. White Sox coming to bat in the last half of the sixth. Up there at the plate now to start the last half of the sixth inning. Ready to go. And the pitcher starts to wind up through, and it's a strike over the heart of the plate about the waist top. One strike on Dyke. Carroll throws again, and Jim hits the long drive foul. Read on the left field line and back into the seat. And it's two strikes on Jim. Two strikes to pass. Well, let's try again now. He's landing up. Pitches. And Blake takes that one inside and a little bit of high for a ball. So the count is one and two. Oh, that's a new whistle. We're not acquainted with that one. The wall back, huh? Here comes the next pitch, and Dyke puts another drive to left field, and Venus standing there instead of running back on it. That's Luke Prime in the air to make the catch, but he got it for the first out in the sixth inning. One out of the sixth inning for the White Sox, and Luke Steele is at bat. Oh, and that fellow hits him, they really tell. There, Jesse Stein winds up to pick the first one to Luke Prime. And Sewell swings in a high fly to left field. Left field is coming in under that one. He's waiting now. Has it. And it's two out of the sixth inning. Two out of the sixth inning for the Sox. And Prince Brown, the White Sox pitcher, is up there fast. Brown hit it. Getting his hand, see that everybody steps, put in. Winds up, throws, and clearly back left handed over there, right handed pitcher. Opens the bar for a ball, right. Now throws once more, Brown hits the boundary down to the third baseman. Corner gets it, throws the first, and the runner is out for the third out, ending the sixth inning with no runs, no hits for the White Sox. And at the end of the sixth inning, the score of the second game stands Boston Red Sox 11, Chicago White Sox 3. The White Sox, however, won the first game by a score of 9 to 1. Now, once again, for up to the minute scores and complete batteries from other cities and all the games, we return to the studio. The National League in Boston, the Chicago Cubs lost both games of the doubleheader to the Bees. By the first game, they lost by a score of 4-3, to three, and the second game, the Cubs lost the game by 3-2. to two. One again all day, the Cub battery in the second game, Campbell and Lopez worked for the Bees in the second game. In the first game of the doubleheader in Philadelphia, the Cardinals won from the Phillies by a score of 13-4. to four. In the second game at the end of the seventh inning, the Cards lead by a score of 11-2. to two. Earnshaw and Davis, the Cardinal battery, Roman and Atwood starting for the Phillies with Benge in the third and Johnson in the sixth. 
The first game of the doubleheader in Brooklyn between the Dodgers and the Cincinnati Reds was taken by the Reds 4-3. In the second game, at the end of the first half of the sixth inning, the Dodgers lead the Reds 1-0. Hallahan and Campbell open for the Reds with Lombardi catching in the sixth. Frank House and Phelps open for the Dodgers with Ferries catching in the seventh. In New York, the Giants won their game from the Pittsburgh Pirates 3-2. Swift and Patton worked for the Pirates all the way. Hubble and Mancuso for the Giants. In the American League, the first game of the doubleheader in St. Louis between the Browns and the Athletics was taken by the Browns 6-1. In the second game, the Athletics lead the Browns at the end of the third inning 2-1. Kelly and Hayes, the Athletic battery in the second game, the Browns using Caldwell and Giuliani. In Cleveland, the New York Yankees lead the Indians at the end of the first half of the ninth inning, 4-3. Pearson and Dickey working for the Yanks, Hildebrand and Pitlack opening for the Indians, Sullivan catching in the fifth, Lee pitching in the eighth, and Gale Hart in the ninth. In Detroit, the Senators are leading the Tigers at the end of the first half of the ninth inning by a score of 5-3. Appleton and Millie started for the Senators, Sable catching in the ninth. Wade and Hayworth open for the Tigers with Parker in the ninth. And now back to Comiskey Park and Hal Totten. Take it, Hal. Under the ball point for the seventh inning, the first man at that for the Red Sox. Moberg grounded out to Vanilla on the system. Now West Carroll takes the first pitch long wide. It's ball one. One ball called. He throws again in left swings and throws the ball back to the screen. And it's one and one. One ball and one strike on Farrell. One and one, it's ready again. Runs up and falls and West takes a strike. The fastball in the heart of the plate across the chest. And it's one and two. One ball and two strikes on Sarah. Throws again, fell, swings the ball, the ball into the second deck, the bottom of the right of the plate. It's still one ball and two strikes. Still one and two. Goes again, Farrell goes after a submarine ball and follows that one also up into the stands above and to the right of the plate. It's still one ball and two strikes on Farrell. Two and two, two balls and two strikes on West. Down takes quite a while. Finally, seems to have a sign, starts his easy swing, wind up. Pitchers and it's the wide one across the waist for ball three. Count is three balls and two strikes. Unfailed, the two and two is right. Two and two, the umpire corrects The board shows three and two on three, so it's only two and two. So there's the third ball wide to make it three balls and two strikes on fail. Three and two to count. Out there for the next time. Finally, as it starts, it's easy wind up. Pitches in the header, swings hard and misses a high fastball inside, striking out for the second out. Boy, that really hurts. How oh, he hurts anything like that. He certainly prides himself in his heading ability. So it's two out in the seventh inning for the start, and Melillo, the White Sox second baseman, is at that. Throws the first one of two swings and falls the ball back into the left on the ground. Part way back to the stands. It's one strike on Melillo. Hey, 
So the next one for a ball inside and long is one and one. One ball and one strike on Steve. He much nicknamed Mr. Melillo. So again winds up the throws. Middle swings it along, high fly to left field, wraps up his back near the wall. He's waiting under it, has it, and it's three out. No runs, no hits in the seventh inning for the Red Sox. And they still lead the White Sox by a score of 11 to 3. As the crowd stands up for their second seventh inning stretch of the afternoon, and the White Sox come to bat in the last half of the seventh inning of the second game. The White Sox won the first game 9 to 1. This broadcast, the White Sox Boston doubleheader, has come to you direct from the Mr. Clark, home of the White Sox Chicago, as a presentation of your neighborhood Texaco dealer, distributor of Texaco, fire chief gasoline. WCFL at Chicago. Earl has finished the warm-up and Rip Rats with his bat to seven. Rip has been up this will be the fourth time in this game and each time has been at the start of an inning. Let off each time he's been shot. Earl gets his sign, starts his wind-up, throws, and it's a strike over the heart of the plate just above the knee. One strike on Radcliffe. He swings at a wide one and punches it out there. Turner comes over to make a big play and throw the man out of first. He went away over to the left, knocked the ball down, and then taking it fast, he grabs it to through the first base, getting Radcliffe on a nice play for the first out of the seventh inning. One out of the seventh inning to the top. And Felix is at bat. Mike takes the first one inside and low for ball one. One ball called. Throws again and he falls this one into the stand of the right of the plate. And it's one and one, one ball and one strike on Felix. Brings the next to punch it out into left field, opportunity to start stop and third base for a base hit. That's the sixth pitch and starts have made off of Bell. And now Rosenthal again is the bat. Larry Rosenthal up there at the plate with one out of the seventh inning and Felix on first base. Rosemont, now he takes a strike over the heart of the plate, down around the knees. One strike on Rosenthal. And he swings it to make room for a high foul. It bounds out to the left of the plate. And it's two strikes on that. Two strikes to count. Waiting there again for the time. Takes a little run with first, discovers Rosenthal out of the batter's box. Larry steps up to the plate again. Which is ready. Throws. And it's a slow one that misses the outside corner across the waist, making it one and two. One ball and two strikes on Rosenthal. Now he swings the next one, a slow curve outside. And this is it striking out. The catcher slaps it all down the first base. That's who slides back just to make a pass. So it's two out. 
in the southern plains of the south, David Gillon first, and Zeke Vanilla was the best. And Zeke gets a hard smash out to left center, and from forward bounce past Kramer, and to the nasty half with a glove and bound clear out to the stand, and Kravitz is scoring easily as Zeke pulls up at second base. I believe that will be called a two-base hit, because the ball landed in front of Kramer and then took a very high hop, and all Rats could do is just reach for it and just tipped his glove and bound it onto the scoreboard. The more questionable hits and errors in this series than any I've looked at for a long time. And now happening at that, takes a strike over the outside corner. Thank you, Eddie. That verifies it. It was a two-day set. I called it that as preliminary calling. Happening is out of the box. The steps back up to the plate. And the hitter swings the next one to hit a high fly in the right field. The second baseman Malolo is chasing it over in the foul territory and makes the catch for the third out. In the seventh inning, first one run, two hits, one man left on base. In the last half of the seventh inning. And at the end of the seventh inning of the second game, the Red Sox are leading the White Sox by a score of 11 to 4. White Sox won the first game 9-1, to one, behind the fine pitching of Sugar King. The first man at bat in the eighth inning for the Red Sox will be Kramer, the center fielder. He's already up there at the plate. Rangy left-handed hitter. Brown gets his time, starts his wind-up. And throws in. It's a strike over the heart of the plate, just about knee One strike on Kramer. Reaches out to bump the next one. It goes out to the left of the plate. Brown gets it, throws the first. But Kramer beats it out for a base hit. Base hit for Kramer. And it puts him on first base. With nobody out in the eighth inning. Under that ball, Brown came in and got it. Made a good throw at first. But too late. The drive is across. The front being perfect. And Manush is up there. Taking the first one inside and lower third ball. For ball one. One ball called. Brown ready out there again. Has a shine once more. And pitches in the header takes a good strike over the heart of the plate above the letter high to make it one and one. One ball and one strike on Manush. Takes another look at the runner at first. Then pitches and Heine hits the bounder down to Benola, who steps on first base and then throws the second to turn it into a double play. Applin taking the throw and tagging the runner out. Play was back with Kramer. We didn't see any particular play there and finally decided to stand up to break up a possible double play if he was going to be made by that direction. As a result, he came right into the ball, was waiting for him as he came in. Makes it two out in the eighth, and Foster Bat takes the third ball wide for ball one. One ball called. And pitch ready again, starts that swinging wind up. 
throws and it's a ball. It's over the plate for ball two. Too low. And the count is two or nothing. Two balls and no strikes. On Fox. Whether it's the next one to drive out into left center for a base hit. His third hit of this game. Davis gets the ball fast and throws it. Oh, boy. That ball took a terrific hop clear over the heads of both Appling and Hayes. But Benora raced over and grabbed it before he could get through to the stands and Fox stayed on first base anyway. Jimmy's on first with two out in the eighth inning. And corner of the third baseman is at bat. Corner hits the next one to Bonner to Hayes. He got the toss to Appling at second base and Fox is forced easily for the third out. Making it no runs, two hits, and one man left on base in the eighth inning, first half of the eighth inning, and the score at the end of the first half of the eighth inning of the second game is 11 to 4 in favor of the Boston Red Sox. White Sox come to bat in the last half of the eighth, but here's the first man up. White Sox won the first game by a score of 9 to 1. Well, finishing his warm-up out there in the mound. Bird finally throws the ball out to second base. And we're ready to go in the last half of the eighth inning. Here's a bat. Well, shakes yes on the sign, winds up, throws, and it's a high one inside for ball one. One ball called. Throws again, and Jackie hits one down the right field line. It stays fair, he's going clear down to the corner, bounds out against the wall in left field, and he pulls up at second base as a long throw into the infield, comes in from Cook way down at the right field wall. Two base hits. Down the right field line by Jackie Hayes, putting him on second base, nobody out in the eighth inning, and Jimmy Dyke getting a nice hand as he steps up there to the plate. Seven runs are tied up. They've done it before. More than one. Dyke watches the slow one to buy wide for ball one. One ball called. Eddie Lyons doing a little warming up out in the left field bullpen. And there's a strike over the heart of the plate about waist high to make it one and one. One ball and one strike on Dykes. He throws again and Jim started to swing with Scott to take a high one inside for ball two. And it's two balls and one strike on Jimmy Dykes. Two and one is the count. And the next one is a wide one for ball three. Making it three and one. Three balls and one strike on Dyke. Three and one to count. Curl ready again. And there's ball four. It's inside and low. And Dyke gets a base on ball. So it puts White Sox runners on first and second. Nobody out in the eighth inning. 
And Frank Grove, White Sox catchers at bat. Frank takes the first one for a strike over the outside corner, cross waist high. And it's one strike on Frank. White Sox runners on first and second. Nobody out in the eighth inning. Boston leading 11 to 4. And there's ball one, a curveball wide and low. So it's one and one. One ball and one strike on Groove. Throws again, and Frank gets a wide one low for ball two. And it's two balls and one strike on Groove. Two and one to count. Frank swings the next hit, a ball in the left center. Left fielder's coming in, the center fielder is also. Ball drops out there for a base hit. Little looping single in the left center by Groove. Hayes scores easily. And Dyke stops at second. And Clint Brown, the White Sox pitcher, is at best. Brown is a pretty fair hitter, and remember, there's practically no one else left to pinch hit. And they're still six runs behind. They're hardly going to take him out of there as long as they have many real tough hitter in there. He hits the first one for a high fly to right center. Right fielder's backing up under it, gets it, and it's one out in the eighth inning. One out in the eighth inning. Here's Rip Rip. Gosh, poor old Rip is way overdue for a base hit. Yesterday's game, he got only one hit and a walk in four tries. The first game today, he got a walk in five tries. He's been up four tries in this ball game so far. His second game and hasn't been on first base yet. He's way overdue to hit one. And he takes the first pitch wide across the waist for ball one. One ball called. Throws once more, and it's a strike over the heart of the plate, waist high. But the count is one and one. One ball and one strike. Pepper swings the next one, hit an easy bound to the shortstop, who throws the second. Malillo throws the first, but Radcliffe beats that throw there. However, the man is second, and Malillo were all tangled up because... Group slid in pretty hard to try to break up that play. The runner, got, the fielder, baseman got the throw away all right, but couldn't make it because Bradstick was down there a little too fast. On the play, Dykes went to third base. He's on third now. One run home in the eighth inning. And Cleavis is bad hitting an easy bounder back past the pitcher. And Murrow flips and falls down. Ball bounced back over his shoulder and out into right center with Dykes going. And Radcliffe going to third base. I think they'll call that a base hit because Malillo, tearing in to cover second, tried to stop up as Cleavis hit that ball. And he flipped and fell down. He reached for it while falling down and reaching backwards. The ball got past him, and one more run scored, and Radcliffe went to third. I'm pretty sure that will be a base hit.
Yes, it is. That verifies it. Thank you, Eddie. And now the first pitcher to uh, Rosenthal is a strike over the inside corner. He hits the next long smash up. Deep left center. Kramer's after it. It's way over his head. Going clear off the wall. Another run is in. Still another run coming in. Rosenthal is carrying to third base. And Fulton standing up. A triple to the wall in left center by Rosenthal. Scoring two more runs. You never count these white socks out of any ball game. This won't be counted out. They're pulling up there within reach now, and the Red Sox have got a man warming up out there in the bullpen. A four runs home this inning, and the score is now 11 to 8 in favor of the Red Sox. Earl trying hard to get through this inning. And Zeke Benura is at best. Four runs home in the eighth inning. Rosenthal still on third base. Benura at bat. Big swing, get a bounder out to Conan, the manager. Conan comes up with it, throws the first, and Benura is safe. Benura is safe on a close play. West slams his glove onto the ground. Joe Conan throws his glove in the air and runs over to talk to umpire McGowan. But Benura beat out that hit to deep short. He was going down that line as I don't think he ever went down before in his life. And Rosenthal scores to make the score now 11-9 in favor of Boston. He hit that ball to deep short. Conan got it way back in there and threw, but Benura was going down that line and how he was going down it. That's his fourth hit beside the walk in this game. How many did he have in that first game? He had two hits and two walks in the first game. Three hits and four tries in the in yesterday's game, so I think he'd like to have these Red Sox stay here all the time. He had a triple in his first game in the series. So now we have Luke Gapling at bat. Benora on first base. Two out. Five runs home in the eighth inning. And Luke Swing did an easy bounder down the box. We've got the race for first base. And beat Gapling for the third out. And Farrell in anger throws his glove clear over to the Boston bench. And the crowd's giving it to him as he walks in there. Oscar Millow turns around, says something to the umpire also as he walks off the field. But it ends that eighth inning, and what a rally that was. It pulls the White Sox right back in this ball game. They're right up there pretty close now. Five runs. Five hits. And one man left on base. In the last half of the eighth inning, and they batted completely around in that inning. The score at the end of the eighth inning is 11-9 to in favor of the Boston Red Sox. That's the end of the eighth inning of the second game. The White Sox won the first game 9-1. Conan's going to be the first man to bat in the ninth inning for the Red Sox. He walks out there, says something to her, Pennock coaching, and tosses the bat aside as he walks slowly up the plate. Don't forget to stop in. Get your request card on the way home tonight for that weekend drive for your 1936 Texaco scorebook. The... Uh, book is easily obtained. It has a complete illustrated and explained scoring system in it. With space, official blanks, 17 games, pictures of the Sox and Cubs, the rosters, 
and a lot of information. Just ask for request cards, fill it out, stamp it, mail it, and you'll get your book. Now here is Cronin at bat, taking the first pitch wide across the weight for ball one. One ball called. Brown throws again, and Cronin swings at a high pass for a slow ball inside and misses it for strike one. Boy, he really threw a pull of string ball that time. He was up in there close, high and inside, and it's one and one. Throws again, and Cronin takes the ball wide and low, and so it's two and one. Two balls and one strike on Cronin. Brown goes back to use the rosin bag, walks slowly out there as Group gets another ball for him. Comes back onto the mound, is ready to pitch again. He's winding up. Throws and Cronin swings it a high fly to right field. Favich is coming in, but Hayes is waving him away and makes the catch out back to first base for the first out of the ninth inning. One out of the ninth inning for the Red Sox. And Cook, Dusty Cook, the right fielder, is at bat. Dusty steps up there to plate. Wind up. And Cook swings it a little looping drive out in the left center for a good base hit. Throws in front of it, grabs it, throws it into second base, and Cook goes back to first. Single to left center by Cook. Putting him on first base. One out of the ninth inning. And Berg is at bat. Mo Berg up there at the plate. Now the Red Sox have a right-hander warming up in the bullpen. Again. Runners on the go with a pitch, and Berg gets the ball back through the box, and Appling gets it near second base, throws the first, getting the runner for the second out, but Cook gets to second base on that infield out. And it brings West Farrell to bat, and of course he's getting a bit, a bit of a raw spray as he walks up there to the plate. He was really mad out there a minute ago, wasn't he? And makes it two out of the ninth inning. And Cook on second base with West Farrell at bat. On keeps watching second base, finally throws. And West takes a wide one across the chest for ball one. Big Miller's running out the bullpen now. Something rather. up the left-hander again. One ball called. And the hitter swings the ball the next one into the stand to the right of the plate, making it one and one. One ball and one strike. One and one to count. Call time down there because Miller and warming up Throwing the ball back to pitcher, he was standing talking to the other warm-up catcher down there, Coach Daly, and then he turned and threw wildly to the pitcher, and the ball went out into right field. Now West hits a high fly, going foul down back to first base. Norris tearing over there to the dugout and makes a nice running catch, a very pretty play, because he had to tear down right in front of the bat to make that on the dead run, and he was, he was gambling on everything there. He wasn't fooling, and he made a nice play on it. And Benura got Farrell's foul for the third out. So it's no run, one hit, 
One man left on base. In the first half of the ninth inning, and the White Sox come to bat in the last half of the ninth inning of the second game, with the Red Sox leading 11-9. First White Sox hitter will be Hayes, who doubled to open the eighth inning and started the Sox on their way to their five-run round. This broadcast of the White Sox-Boston game comes to you direct from Comiskey Park, the home of the White Sox of Chicago, as a presentation of your neighborhood Texaco dealer, distributor of Texaco, Fire Chief Gasoline. Broadcast comes to you with the permission of the White Sox and the Red Sox, simulated us in our national game and in your own local baseball team. Farrell finishes his warm-up as he does so. The Red Sox are really bearing down and warming up these two men in the right field bullpen. The right-hander and the left-hander both warming up very hard. Farrell throws now and he takes a strike over the outside corner above Meehan. One strike on Jackie Hayes. But again, he's winding up. Throws. Jackie swings and misses a high fastball for strike two. Boy, Farrell's burned down now. He says, I'm going to get through this and I don't know why. He again winds up pitches. And it's ball one. Curveball wide and low. So it's one and two. One ball and two strikes. Ready again, throws, and Jackie drives the ball hard off the right field. Right fielder makes a pass for the ball, can't get it. Hayes is going to second base. Right fielder comes in and gets it, throws it fast, Roman saves it. But Jackie drives into second base, making a two-base hit on it. Same as he opened the other inning. Pretty sure that's what it'll be, because the right fielder tried for a two-string catch, managed to block the ball, but couldn't hang on to it. Now Farrell comes in to talk to Bird. And he turns and walks off the field. Farrell is walking off the field. Conan is talking to Bird. And West is all through. And the new pitcher, a right-hander, is coming into the game. Wilson coming in. That double was the end of West Farrell for today. And Wilson, who's been warming up there in the right field bullpen... He is coming in now to pitch. First man he faces will be Dyke. Wilson is the pitcher. Wilson is announced as the pitcher. When he arrives there and starts his warm up with Bird. Jimmy Dyke standing down here talking to umpire Hubbard at the plate. Wilson still warming up there. Dyke started walking up toward the plate. So the crowd started to stir and talk it up. Now Wilson is through. Bird goes out to straighten out his signs with him. Hello comes in to find out what it is. Signs are using. And they all go back to their position. Dyke is at bat. Jimmy got a walk in the eighth inning and started that rally. After Hayes had doubled, as he just doubled now. Jimmy hits the first pitch, but it's a foul into the stand above and to the right of the plate up here in the second deck over to our right of wave. And it's 
One strike on Timmy Dice. One strike to count. Wilson waits there for the sign again, has it. And it's strike two, a fastball over the inside corner about waist high. Wilson ready once more, throws. Dyke swings and misses on a curveball, blowing outside, striking out for the first out in the ninth inning, and bringing Groove to bat. Wilson got Jimmy that time on that hook curve. Frank Groove is up there with Hayes on second base, one out in the ninth inning. Wilson ready pitches, and Frank takes the ball. It's over the plate, but too low. One ball called. She throws again, and Groove takes a strike over the inside corner, waist high. And it's one ball and one strike on Groove. One and one. He's on second base. One out of the ninth inning. Groove is that. Score 11-9 in favor of the Boston Red Sox. Second game of the doubleheader. Frank swings and misses this one for strike two. The ball hops out of the catcher's glove, but he grabs it out in front of the plate. Tosses it back to Wilson, the pitcher. The relieved West Farrell. Ready once more, throws. And Groove also goes after a wide hook curve and strikes out for the second out in the ninth inning. Now Tony Pyatt is going to bat in place of Brown. Pyatt batting for Brown, the pitcher. He arrives up there, and he's all set. The shortstop, Cronin, came in to see his pitcher, talked to him for a second. Now they're all set out there again. Wilson pitches and Pyatt swings and misses a fastball for a strike. Boy, if he should strike him out, you'd really call that a masterful job of relief pitching. Ready again, throws. And Tony gets the ball. It's over the plate. It's too low. Hits the dirt. And bounce out of the catcher's glove. He turns around and hands to Umpire Hubbard, who gives it back to him. He throws it back out to Wilson. It's one and one. One ball and one strike. Now there's another strike over the inside corner above the knees. Tony stepped away from it. But it came over the plate anyway. So it's one and two, one ball and two strikes on Pyatt. Tony watches ball two combined now very wide. And it's two balls and two strikes. Sort of a forlorn chance here, but it's always there. Getting a sign. Swings around as he got to the back at second base, throws. And it's uh, inside across the chest. In fact, it was well just about there, although it almost hit the peak of his cap as he dropped down to get away from it. And it's three and two. Three balls and two strikes on Pyatt. Pyatt steps out of the box and the umpire called time for a moment. 
Watch the second base throws. And Pratt puts the line to take a ball inside and get the base on ball. Well, that brings Ripper out quick to bat. Ripper has gone hitless all afternoon. Two, two long ball games. A fellow who has been having a great run in his batting for the last several weeks, but hasn't had a base hit today. And on base just once in this inning, and that was after he forced Luke Sewell out in the eighth inning. Got on base and eventually scored a run. Wilson stands there with his hands on his hips, watching the plate, getting the sign to pitch the first one to Radcliffe. As he signs, throws, and the ripper takes a good strike over the heart of the plate, waist high. Apparently he wants to take a look at what this fellow had. Get his eye on it before he started to swing. Ready again now, pitches, and Radcliffe fouls the ball high into the second deck, up here to our left, and it's two strikes. Two strikes on Radcliffe. Wilson finally has the sign again. He's ready. Pitches. And Rip jumps away. The ball bounces back to stand. Runners are going to second and third. Hayes makes the turn. But Bird gets back there fast enough to get the ball. And it's a wild pitch which puts the runners on second and third. Wild pitch by Wilson. Now, umpire Ormsby suddenly calls time. Boys ask for him to look the ball over because... It had been handled by about six different fellas out there. Once they can't find anything wrong with it. So it goes back to the pitcher. See that ball that hit the dirt. Bounded clear back to the stand. One and two now. One ball and two strikes on Radcliffe. White Sox runners on second and third with two out in the ninth. And Ripper gets ball two. It's wide across the waist. And it makes it two and two. Two balls and two strikes. again winds up, pitches, and Radcliffe gets a drive out to the for a base hit. One run is coming in. The tying run scores. The game is tied up. The game is tied up. Radcliffe got his first hit of the game, and it's a ringing single defender scoring Hayes, scoring Pyatt, and the score is tied 11 to 11. The score is tied 11 to 11. Mike Peavick is not that. Boy, did you ever hear more yelling around here? Now Peavick is up there at the plate with a runner on the go on the first pitch. And uh, Radcliffe is safe. He's safe at second. Slid in hard. And apparently he hurt Cronin. Cronin, who took the throw, is on the ground there. Radcliffe... Starts to pick him up. Joe picks himself up. But the umpire had called Rip out and suddenly changed and called him safe when he saw the ball roll away from Cronin. And so the tying or winning run is now on second base. With two out, two runs already home in the ninth inning. And previous to that with a count of one ball.
Is that again? Infield already? Apparently they're going to walk Kravitz. Yes, they're going to walk Kravitz on purpose. Well, they have a man there in the fourth place possible. And there's ball four, and he gets it. That play on Radcliffe was ruled as a stolen base, even though the umpire had to change as he followed the course of the ball. Now the White Sox have runners on first and second, and uh, two out, two runs home in the ninth inning. Rosenthal is fast. White Sox are warming Shalini up in the left field bullpen. Wilson is leading the game, and the new pitcher, a southpaw, is coming into the ball game. Pitch off to Miller. Wilson leaving there, and the left-handed pitcher coming in to pitch to Rosenthal, the left-handed hitter. There's the announcement. Austin Miller's the pitcher. started going that time. Striking out the first too many faces. Looked as though he was going to go through the inning in great shape. Then after a little conference out there between Cronin, the captain and pitcher, Bird starts back behind the plate. And uh, Rosenthal standing there talking to Zeke Manura. Radcliffe, who was on second base, ducked down into the bench to get a little drink of water while they were waiting. Now Austin Miller starts his warm-up out there with Berg. And he's still finishing the warm-up. Remember, the White Sox have scored two runs in the ninth inning. and still have runners on first and second with two outs. The score a tie, 11 to 11. Still going through those warm-up paces. And the umpire stands there watching. Finally, if he's had enough, that's it. The ball goes back to him. And Rosenthal comes up to the plate. Rosenthal is back. Score tie now in the last half of the 11th inning. 11 to 11. White Sox runners on first and second. Two out in the ninth inning. Two runs home. Austin Miller ready to pitch. Throws. And it's a ball inside across the way. One ball called. Ready out there again. Use the rod bag for a moment. Digs in on the mound. Ready to pitch. Let's have a look out there, pitches, and it's ball two, it's wide and low, and the count is two and nothing. Two balls and no strike on Rosenthal. Austin Miller waits out there again, slaps the ball into the glove a couple of times. Then steps onto the slab, watches the plate. 
pitches, then it's ball three wide across the waist, and it makes the count three and nothing. Three balls and no strikes on Rosenthal. Walks around again in circles, then finally takes his place on the rubber after using the rosin bag once more. Finally pitches, and it's the strike that gets the outside corner. They throw the ball to second base. Radcliffe got back there in time, though, and so the ball goes back to pitcher with a count of three and one on Rosenthal. Three balls and one strike. Ready out there again. Austin Miller takes a look back at second pitches. And it's ball four inside. And Rosenthal gets the base on ball. It fills the bases for the White Sox in the ninth inning and brings Zeke Bonura to bat. Bases full with Bonura at bat. Cronin comes in now to talk to Austin Miller. Trying to encourage him to get that ball in there. Here's the one that counts. They've got to get this man out of there. Roland walks slowly back to his position, scuffing up a lot of dirt as he goes. Umpire Humbert suddenly calls time, and he's pointing down the left field line about something. Now a right-hander started to warm up, and the other pitcher... Bellini's standing there alongside of him. I thought at first maybe that was the point. They didn't want him standing in the bullpen and he wasn't warming up. But apparently that wasn't the issue because whatever it was, umpire Hubbard consulted with umpire arms. and nothing further happened. Time is back in. And Austin Miller starts to wind up. Throws and Zeke takes a good strike over the heart of the plate above the knee. Naturally, with Austin Miller showing signs of not getting the ball over, he was going to take that first one. And so, it's one strike on Benura. Austin Miller again winding up. Throws, and Zeke swings in a high fly in the left center. Left fielder Kramer's out there calling for it, though, and has it for the third out, and we go into extra innings. The ball was well hit, but altogether too high, and Zeke is put out for the first time this afternoon. After making four hits and getting a walk, he flies out there for the bases full. And it's three out of the ninth inning, ending the ninth for the White Sox with two runs, two hits, three men left on base. And at the end of the ninth inning of the first game of the doubleheader, the score stands a tie, 11-11. The White Sox won the first game from Boston, 9-1. And now, again, for a complete resume of scores and batteries in other cities, we return to the studio. In the National League in Boston, the Chicago Cubs lost both games to the Bees this afternoon. The first game by a score of 4-3. to three. In the first game, Lee and Hartnett worked for the Cubs with Davis on the mound in the ninth. The Bees using McFadden and Lopez the entire route. In the second game, the Cubs lost by a score of 3-2. to two. Warnicky and O'Day worked for the Cubs the entire route in the second game. And Cantwell and Lopez for the Bees. In Philadelphia, the St. Louis Cardinals won both games from the Phillies today. The first game by a score of 13-4. to Haynes and Davis working for the Cards. Walter and Wilton. Wilson for the Phillies. In the second game by a score of 11-8. to Earnshaw and Davis started for the Cards in the second game with Dizzy Dean pitching in the eighth. Bowman and Atwood started for the Phillies with Bench in the third and Johnson in the sixth. First game of the doubleheader in Brooklyn between the Dodgers and the Reds was taken by the Reds 4-3. to 
Stein and Lombardi, the battery for the Reds, the Dodgers, Mongo and Berry. The second game was taken by the Dodgers, 5-2. to two. Callahan and Campbell, the Red battery, with Derringer pitching in the seventh. The Dodgers using Frankhouse and Phelps to start, with Brandt on the mound in the eighth. In New York, the Giants took the game from the Pittsburgh Pirates, 3-2. to two. Swift and Patton working for the Pirates, the Giants using Hubble and Mancuso. In the American League, the first game of the doubleheader in St. Louis was taken by the Browns, 6-1. to one. Fink and Hayes worked for the Athletics with Lisenby in the second. Hogsett and Giuliani worked for the Browns. In the second game, at the end of the first half of the seventh inning, the Athletics lead the Browns by a score of 6-3. to three. Kelly and Hayes, the Athletic battery. The Browns using Caldwell and Giuliani with Vanatta in the fifth. In Cleveland, the New York Yankees and the Indians are tied for all at the end of the twelfth inning of play. Pearson and Dickey working for the Yanks with Malone taking over in the ninth. Hildebrand and Pitlack starting for the Indians. Sullivan catching in the fifth. Lee on the mound in the eighth. And Gale House pitching in the ninth. In Detroit, the Washington Senators took the game from the Tigers, 5-3. to three. Appleton and Millies worked for the Senators. The Tigers using Wade and Hayworth with Auker in the ninth. And now back to Comiskey Park and Hal Totten. Take it, Hal. Back at the ballpark for the 10th inning, ladies and gentlemen, Shalini is the new Sox pitcher. Oscar Maloa, first man to face him, had run the count to 2-2, two and two, or 2-1, two and one, rather, and then hit the next pitch down to Jackie Hayes, and is thrown out at first base. Now uh, here is Kramer, a left-handed hitter. Shalini starts his wind-up. And throws, and Kramer takes a strike over the heart of the plate, just a little above the knee. One strike on Kramer. Shalini winds up again. Pitches on his ball one and missed the outside corner. Also seemed a little low. So it's one ball and one strike on Kramer. One and one to count. Ready again. It's winding up. And throws. And the hitter swings, hit a bounder. Appling comes over to his left, gets it, throws the first. Kramer is out for the second out of the tenth inning. And it's a two out of the tenth inning for the Red Sox. And Heine Minush, another left-handed hitter, steps up there. Bill Dietrich is keeping warm in the left field bullpen for the Sox. Because they've got Cellini in there to pitch to these left-handed hitters. The next after Minush is a whole lineup of right-handed swingers. Lady winds up, pitches, and it's a curveball wide and low. In fact, it broke almost straight down, and it goes for ball one. One ball called. Lady takes a look around the boys, listens to their encouragement, and then takes the plate, gets his sign, starts his wind up. And pitches, and the hitter takes ball two. A little bit wide and a little bit low. And the count is two and nothing. Two balls and no strikes on Manush. Groove holds the ball out in front of the plate, calls to Cellini, throws the ball back to him. He comes back behind the plate again. Winding up. Throws again and it's strike one over the heart of the plate, down around the knees. Manush let it go by and the count is two balls and one strike. Two and one on the north. Laning winding up again. Pitches and the hitter swings hit a foul down past first base for strike two. Ball wasn't fouled by more than about a foot. 
Was hit pretty hard, but he got away around on. So it's two balls and two strikes on Manoush. Two and two the count. Two and two is the count. It's ready again. Winds up once more. Throws in the header, swings, and it's another foul on the ground to the right of the plate. It's still two balls and two strikes on Manush. One, two is the count. Winds up again, throws. And Heine hits the ball hard out into right field for a good clean base hit. Single to right field by Manush. Putting him on first base with two out in the tenth inning. And again, a roar and a rumble through the stands as Jimmy Fox comes to bat. Jimmy, who has made three hits in a walk today, besides being on town on a fielder's choice and scoring four runs. Fox there waiting as Cellini swings around, getting his sign, takes a look at first base. Pitches, and Fox takes a strike over the heart of the plate a little below the waist. One strike on Jim. Cellini ready once more. Pitches and Fox swings in a pop foul into the stand above and to the right of the plate. And it's two strikes on Fox. Two strikes to count. Again, Cellini has the sign. Pitches and Fox hits one foul. Down past third base. Oh, with the grass cutter down there, hits pretty hard. And it's two strikes still on Jimmy Fox. Cellini gets a new ball to pitch, stands out there, waiting for the sign, has it, swings around. There's a stretch, he watches the runner at first, but pitches, and the hitter swings in another foul. On the roof of the stand, above and to the right of the plate, it's still two strikes on Fox. Still two strikes. Ready again, throws, and there's the first ball, a fast one inside just above the knees to make it one and two. One ball and two strikes on Fox. Cellini goes over, picks up the rosin bag, drops it, walks slowly back onto the slab. Swings round ready. Pitches, and Fox swings in an easy bounder right back through the box. Hayes gets the ball, puts it to Lapling, and Manish is forced out at second base for the third out in the tenth inning. No runs, one hit in the tenth inning for the Red Sox. One man left on base. And the score is still a tie, 11 to 11, as the White Sox come to bat in the last half of the tenth inning, the second game of the doubleheader. White Sox won the first game, 9 to 1. Podcast, the White Sox Boston doubleheader, comes to you direct from Comiskey Park, home of the White Sox, Chicago as a presentation of your neighborhood Texaco dealer, distributor of Texaco Fire Chief Gasoline. The broadcast comes with the permission of the White Sox and the Red Sox to stimulate interest in our national game and in your own local baseball team. This is WCFL at Chicago. Luke Appling is walking slowly up to the plate. 
Starts the tenth inning for the start. Chris Austin Miller, a left-handed pitcher, finishes his warm-up. Ball goes out to second base. Coleman flips it backhanded to Manila with his gloved hand, and Oscar returns as the pitcher. Walks back to his position after calling something to Cronin. And Oscar Miller steps on the slab, ready to pitch the first one to Appling. He's winding up. Pitches and Luke swings to foul the ball over the roof of the sand above and to the right of the plate, way up almost as far out as first base. And it's one strike on Appling. One strike to count. Miller waits there for the sign again. Seems to have it. He's winding up. And pitches and the hitter falls another one onto the roof of the stand. About the same swell. Missed the roof. Went into the second deck and bounded back down to the field. And some youngsters came running out of the stand to run out in the field and get it. Two strikes. Now on Appling. Two strikes to count, it's ready again. Winds up and throws and loops, swings in a high fly and his left center. Center fielder's racing back, he's under it and has it, and it's one out of the tenth inning. One out of the tenth inning for the White Sox. And Jackie Hayes, who started both of the big rallies in the eighth and the ninth with doubles, steps up there and gets a nice hand from the fans. Hayes at bat with one out of the tenth inning. Pitcher winds up, throws, and Jackie takes a high one wide for ball one. One ball called. Just again winding up. Throws, and Jack fouls this one high into the second deck above and to the right of the plate for the first strike. And it's one ball and one strike on Hayes. What a scramble for that ball up there and got the big laugh out of the crowd here in the stand. One and one is the count with the pitcher ready again. He's winding up. And throws. And Jackie swings the high fly in a short left field, but the left fielder's coming in and makes the catch for the second out. And makes it two out in the tenth inning for the White Sox. And Jimmy Dyke is at bat. Dyke's up there at the plate. Winding up slowly. It's to Jimmy now. He pitches, and Jim swings and fouls the ball into the stand to the right of the plate for strike one. One strike on Dyke. Waits there again, has the sign. Winding up. Pitches, and it's a strike two. A pretty one over the outside corner down around the knees. And it makes it two strikes on Jimmy Dyke. Two strikes to count. Here again winds up. Throws. And Jim swings and misses. Striking out for the third out in the tenth inning. And we go on to the eleventh. Jim's had no fun in these two rallies. He walked to score in the eighth. But in the ninth he struck out. And here in the tenth he also struck out. Just when he wanted to do some real serious damage. So it's no runs, no hits in the 10th inning for the White Sox. 
And so we go into the 11th inning of the second game. And the score is still a tie, 11 to 11. No matter how carefully oil is refined, its usefulness can be greatly impaired if outside contamination takes place. That's why new Texaco is brought to you in refinery-sealed cans. The can is your protection as the motor oil which goes into the crankcase of your car is the full-bodied, tough, lasting new Texaco motor oil which left the refinery. First man at bat in the 11th inning for the Red Sox is Croner. Johnny Croner, the Boston third baseman. Stands there at the plate waiting. Cellini winds up and throws, and Johnny swings and misses the curveball for strike one. Cellini again gets his side, he's winding up. And pitches, and the hitter swings and misses for a strike two. And it's two strikes on Cronin. Two strikes to count. Ready again, he's winding up. Throws, and the hitter started to swing but stopped, and the ball curved inside and low for ball one. So it's one ball and two strikes on Croner. One and two. Sweeney taking it easy out there, rubs that ball up a little bit, now winds up. And pitches, and the hitter falls one into the stand to the right of the plate. It's still one ball and two strikes on Croner. One and two. Dusty Cook starts out of the dugout to walk up there. Cronin is already waiting to hit, but he goes over to talk to him. Now the hitter hits the next one, a high fly into left center, but Rosenthal is jogging over there and makes the catch nicely for the first out in the 11th inning. One out of the 11th for the Red Sox. And Joe Cronin is at that. Joe Cronin, the manager and shortstop. Some of the crowd wants to give him a little bit of a rise, babe, but that's all right. He can take it. Delaney winds up, pitches. Cronin swings and follows the ball back to the screen for a strike. Getting his sign there again, winds up. Easy swinging wind up, then the windmill, then he pitches. And the hitter swings another high fly to left center. This time farther out, but Rosenthal's also waiting. Has it, and it's 2 out in the 11th inning. 2 out in the 11th inning for the Red Sox. And Cook, Dusty Cook, the Boston right fielder, is at bat. Swings and falls the first one back against the stand above and to the left of the plate, and it's strike one. Swings hard at the next to miss a high fast ball inside, and it's two strikes on Cook. Two strikes to count. He also is a left handed hitter. 
Two strikes to count, but she throws again. And Cook swings and misses a slow curve, striking out for the third out in the 11th inning. So it's no runs, no hits in the 11th inning for the Red Sox. And the score remains a tie, 11-11, as the White Sox come to bat in the last half of the 11th inning of the second game after winning the first game 9-1. Sox won the first game 9-1. The second game is a tie, 11-11, in the last half of the 11th inning. First White Sox hitter, Frank Grove. The White Sox catcher. Oscar Miller's out there in the mound to start his warm-up. Well, boys, the fans, we have little old fans. We've had lots of things to see today. Lots, lots, two doubleheaders, in fact. Boy, the way these white dots can strap their way around this league. Hmm. Ruben's getting a hand as he walks out of the dugout and up toward the plate. Winding up, pitches and group swings to follow the ball into the second deck above the left of the plate. To the right, rather. I'm getting groggy now. One strike on Groove. Said a lot of words today, Georgie. We've been rolling them out. One strike to count. It's ready again. Winds up, pitches, and it's a high one wide for ball one, making it one ball and one strike. On Groove. One and one to count. Again, starts to wind up. Throws, and it's a high one wide for ball two. So it's two balls and one strike on Groove. Two and one. Austin Miller winds up again. Throws, and Groove swings to foul another one onto the roof of the stand above to the right of the plate. And it's two balls and two strikes on Frank Groove. Two and two the count. Two and two the count. It winds up again. Throws. And Frank swings and misses a high fastball inside. Striking out for the first out in the 11th inning. And bringing Shalini, the pitcher to bat. And he's getting a swell hand as he walks up there toward the pitch. Shalini at bat. With one out in the 11th inning. Tony bats left-handed. As he pitches, Austin Miller winds up, throws, and he swings hard to miss a high fastball inside for a strike. One strike on Cellini. Throws again, and it's a strike two, a fastball over the heart of the plate, waist high, to make it two strikes on Shalini. Two strikes to count. There's strike three over the heart of the plate, down around the knees. He backed away, didn't make any attempt to go after it, and he's called out on strike for the second out in the 11th inning, and Rick Radcliffe, who saved his only hit so far this afternoon to drive in the 
tying run from the ninth. Is up there at the plate with two outs in the eleventh inning. Winds up, throws the first one, and it's a fast strike over the heart of the plate, waist high. Oscar Miller isn't fooling now at all. He struck out the last three men to face him. <clears throat> throws again, and it's a strike over the outside corner across the knees, and it makes it two strikes on Radcliffe. Two strikes to count. Oscar Miller again winding up. Throws. Rip swings hit a little dribbler back at the pitcher who gets it, throws to first base. Just hit it off the end of the bat very weakly. And Rip is out at first base easily for the third out. So we end the 11th inning still deadlocked 11 to 11. Four tie 11 to 11. At the end of the 11th inning of the second game of the doubleheader, White Sox won the first game 9 to 1. First man to foul in the 12th inning. For the Red Sox will be Moberg, the catcher. The next time you stop at your Texaco service station, ask the operator for Marfax. Berg is just walking up there to play as Cellini finishes. Well, he's still finishing his warm-up down there. Ball goes out to second base. Most out to tie a shoelace. Down here at the left of the plate. Before he steps up there in the batter's box. So Tony walks back on the back of the mound. Berg walks slowly up there at the plate. Shalini. His name is Italo, you know, Shalini. But the boys call him Tony. He says he likes that for a nickname. Throws the first one, and Berg hits a long drive to center field, but Rosenthal's waiting there for it. Has it. Ranges over into left center to get it. And it's one out in the 12th inning. One out of the 12th inning for the Red Sox. And the next man up there is Oscar Miller, the pitcher who is also getting a nice hand from the fans because he's been doing some very nice relief work. Really fine pitcher. Laney winds up. Throws and Oscar Miller swings, hits a high fly in a short right field. Hayes is going back, calling for it. Makes the catch back there, and it's two out. Jackie had to twist around suddenly to uh, get that ball because it didn't blow the way he expected, but he made the catch, and it's two out in the 12th inning with Melillo at bat. is up there, but she starts to wind up. Throws and the hitter swings and falls the ball back against the catcher's mask. Bounds off to the right on the ground. Group turns and tosses it over to umpire Harvard to take a look. In case it got cut up, but apparently it didn't. Ball goes back to Fisher. And Malolo steps up to the plate again. Delaney winds up. Throws and ski swings hit a bounder back past the pitcher. Hayes goes over, gets it, bounds up and hits him in the face. He can't seem to see the ball anywhere. Finally walks over and gets it. And time is called. Lillo turns to see how it was. Apparently, the base hit. The ball took a bad hop and hit Hayes right in the face. Couldn't see the ball for a moment. Now he says he's all right. Won't let anybody fuss over him. 
throws to first base. Kramer's at bat and running it back to first all right. Now Cellini pitches and Kramer fouls this one back to the screen and it's a strike. One strike to count. Cellini throws again and again with the runner on the goal. Kramer hits the ball hard back to the box. The second baseman knocks it down and Appling grabs it through the first but still too late. Boy, Hayes made a wonderful play on that ball. He dashed over back a second, grabbed for it, hit his glove and dropped to the ground. If he'd held onto it, he might have gotten that man. He shortstop dashed over and grabbed it and threw to first, but Kramer had beaten it out for a base hit. And that puts Boston runners on first and second with two out in the 12th inning. And Manush, Heine Manush, at bat. He's got to pitch hard now. Lini throws and Heine gets the ball. It just barely missed the outside corner of the knees. Pretty close there. And uh, umpire Hubbard lifts his hands to indicate it was too low. Ought to have been higher to be a strike. One ball called. Pretty sure it was over that corner. Lini stretches, looks back at the runners, pitches again. And the hitter hits a long call way, way down the right field line. Back in the seat, back of the foul line. And it's one ball and one strike on Manush. One and one to count. Lee throws again and Heine hits the ball hard to left field, but Ratcliffe's in fast. Gets it. And it's three out. Line drive to left field. Ripper was playing in close. He apparently figured that out ahead of time and was playing in close and came dashing in to grab that line drive for the third out. So it's no run, two hits, two men left on base. In the first half of the 12th inning. And the score, as the White Sox come to bat in the last half of the 12th inning, still stands a tie, 11 to 11, in the second game of the doublehead. White Sox won the first game by a score of 9 to 1. Davis is walking out there to start off this inning now. Boy, this is really a box score to keep in that old Texaco scorebook that you'll want to refer back to a long time, those two great rallies. The way those stocks have been scrapping today. Here is Davis at bat. Start the last half of the 12th inning. Score a tie, 11 to 11. Oscar Miller winds up to pitch the first one to Mike. Throws, and he takes a strike, a fast curveball over the inside corner just above the knee. One strike on Kredich. He winds up once more. Throws, and Mike takes a fast one inside for ball one. To run the count to one and one. One ball and one strike on Kredich. Again, Austin Miller takes that swinging wind up, throws, and Mike swings at an easy bounder. The second baseman, Malillo, comes in, gets the ball, throws the first, and it's one out in the 12th inning. Malillo came scampering in to grab that ball and throw the man out first. So it's one out in the 12th inning, and Rosenthal is at bat. 
Larry Rosenthal up there. She winds up to pitch the first one to him. Throws, and it's a good fast strike over the outside corner knee high. Boy, this fellow isn't wasting anything. He really lays that ball in. Fritz winds up once more. Throws. And Larry fouls the ball back into the second deck in front of us over to the right a little. And it's one strike, or two strikes now on Rosenthal. Two strikes on Larry at bat with one out in the 12th inning for the White Sox. <clears throat> Open up. Mr. Miller winding up again. Throws. And the hitter swings to foul another one back toward us. But, yeah, it lands down in front of us also. For a second I thought it was going up on the roof, but it didn't. And it's still two strikes on Rosenthal. Ready once more, he winds up. Pitches, and it's a curveball wide for ball one, making it one and two. One ball and two strikes. One and two. And he hits the next one, a line drive off the right center. It's going out there pretty good. Around first base on his way to second. Ball is fielded by Cook. He throws it in fast, and Rosenthal is on second base. A flashing double to right center by Rosenthal. Puts him on second base with one out in the 12th inning. And Zeke Benura at bat. Chances are they'll walk Benura to take a chance on Appling. Not that they are sliding Appling, but as they did earlier, walk a man to make fourth place possible. It often works out to your advantage. What they did in the case of Previch in the ninth inning. Yeah, they're going to walk in. Of course, the crowd yells. They don't like that very much, but all there is to do, there's ball 3 2. All three will be coming up right away. <clears throat> and then it'll be up to Appling. There's the third ball. Taking no chances. He's really throwing that ball well outside. And there's the fourth ball. And it puts. Lenora on first base. The White Sox have runners on first and second with one out of the 12th inning. And Luke Appling is at bat. Appling at the plate. He looks at second base and throws, and Luke takes the ball. It's over the plate, but too low. One ball called on Appling. Waiting there again for the sign. Steps onto the slab. Looks at his catcher. Now he's ready to pitch. Pitches. And it's ball two inside across the knees. Making it two and nothing. Two balls and no strikes on Appling. One nothing is the count. And there's a strike. A fastball over the heart of the plate. Waist high. And the count is two and one. Two balls and one strike on Affleck. Sure again leans over to get the sign. He's ready. Pitches. And Luke swings it. A foul down past first base. It's two and two. Mel Almada was running down to the bullpen. Turned around and fielded that ball as it was bounding off the front of the stand. Keeps on down to the bullpen. 
Warming up a little down there. Apparently going in to take somebody's plate or to pinch it. Unless they get around that far, but I think he just, in case he may go out here, take somebody's place in the outfield. Manush probably. The header hits the next one. A line foul. Bounds into the <laughs> Boston bench, and the boys start to wave flags down there. White flags of truth. Waving towels at the header to say, don't pick on us. We're back here. Two and two is the count. Two balls and two strikes on Appling. Austin Miller walks slowly around onto the slab again after using the rosin bag. Ready to pitch once more. He throws, and Luke hits another foul into the second deck. Down beyond first base. It's still two balls and two strikes. Still two and two. Walk slowly back onto the slab again after talking to Joe Cronin. Drops the rosin bag to speed. Steps onto the rubber. Watches for his sign. He's ready. And pitches. And Appling fouls another one into the second deck above first base. It's still two balls and two strikes on Luke Appling, who's batting for the White Sox in the last half of the 12th inning with a score a tie, 11 to 11. White Sox runners on first and second with one out. White Sox won the first game 9-1. to Game tied up at 11-all in the last half of the 12th inning. They're all ready again. As he's signed, he's ready to pitch. Pitches, and Luke gets the ball hard off the box. He grabs it, races for first base, beats Appling. The runner is going to second and third. Fox got that hard smash by Appling and raced to first base to beat him for the second out, putting White Sox runners on second and third. And Jackie Hayes at back. Again, Cronin is over conferring with Oster Miller. I don't know if they're going to walk Jackie or not. The one run would beat him, so the idea is to keep the bases filled as long as third base and third and second is occupied to make it possible to make force plays all the way around. No, they're going to pitch to him. The figure is luck has run out. He's not going to hit, and they're going to pitch to him. And the first pitch is wide across the way for ball one. First base is vacant. Well, they won't give him anything good to hit at, that's sure. They'll pitch to him, but give him nothing good. Rather walk him than give him a good ball to hit. Figure he might go after a bad one. Winds up, throws again, and Jackie swings hard and misses the curveball for a strike. The count is one and one. One ball and one strike on Hayes. Austin Miller waits there again. As he's signed, he's winding up. Throws, and Hayes hits the ball off the right field for a base hit, and the Sox win 12 to 11. Right fielder got the ball and threw it wildly in, but the pitcher gets it and sticks it in his pocket. A single to right field by Jackie Hayes wins the ball game. Hayes started the two rallies that resulted in tying the score in the eighth and ninth innings, and then drove out the winning hit now, a single to right field, which scored Rosenthal from third base and wins the game for the shot by a score 
of 12 to 11. He totals in that inning one run, two hits, two men left on base. Totals for the ball game. White Sox had 12 runs. 16 hits, one error. And the number of men left on base, 13 men left on the base. The Red Sox had 11 runs, 22 hits, one error. And they had uh, ten men left on the bases. Fortunately, neither error had any part in the winning of the game. The winning time of the game was three hours and seven minutes. The winning pitcher is Cellini. The losing pitcher, Oscar Miller. In the first game, totals on the first game, the White Sox won nine to one, making nine runs, 16 hits, no errors, with 12 men left on bases. The Red Sox, one run, six hits, one error, and seven men left on the bases. The time of the game was an hour and 56 minutes. The winning pitcher was Kane, and the losing pitcher, Russell. The second game, White Sox made five runs in the eighth inning and two in the ninth to overcome a ten-run lead that the Red Sox had piled up. They've been leading them first 11-1, to then 11-3, to then 11-4. to They made five runs in the eighth, two in the ninth, tied it up, and then they won in the twelfth. The total of the Sox had 12 runs, 16 hits, one error, 13 men left on base. The Red Sox, 11 runs, 22 hits, one error, 11 men left on the bases. Winning pitcher is Cellini, losing pitcher Oster Miller, and if I'm not mistaken, this double victory moves the White Sox into third place in the American League standard. Second place next, my friend, second place next. The White Sox will be out of town playing in St. Louis tomorrow, and we will broadcast that game from Wire Report starting about five minutes before Chicago time. And speaking for George as well as myself, Hal Cotton, bid you good afternoon from Comiskey Park, and we return to the studio. Bye now.